welcome to another edition of Setting the Tone Interviews. My name is Elizabeth, and today Lauren, Daniel, and I are excited to get to sit down with Lydia Woodward. Lydia is best known to ER fans for her behind-the-camera work, serving as a producer for 174 episodes and writing 27. Lydia, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So to start us off, how did you get your start in television? You know, I have an origin story as boring as everyone else's. Um, I got I, I, I came to the game for very late. I didn't start writing until I was about 35. I had other lives. I worked in government. I worked in advertising. I went to business school. I went to the American Film Institute. I worked for an agency. I worked for Disney as a production development um, exec. And and then went to writing. So, you know, it was kind of a long journey. And then when it all of a sudden, it's like bankruptcy. It's gradual and then sudden, um, <laughs> you know, it happened. So, um, and, and when it kind of broke, I was very lucky and, you know, got into some good places um, early on. So how did you uh, first get involved with the ER project? I imagine probably your time working on China Beach had something to do with that, right? Yes. Um, John Wells and I met um, during the China Beach years. And then after China Beach, I actually did another show with him that was very short lived. We were canceled after two episodes, which is, of course, much more the norm in television than ER. Um, you know, ER is, is freakish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, more, it's much more normal to be canceled after two episodes. So we had worked together then. Um, and then he got ER going. And it's interesting, he sent me the script as he was kind of pursuing the project. And I was, um, well, one, one thing I'll say first, I have to give him a lot of credit. All the credit really goes to Wells because um, I, read the, I read that script and I didn't get it. I mean, I just went, I don't, I don't get what this is. Mm -hmm. It was a very, I found it a very tough read. I mean, there was all the medicine right. and you're just kind of hopping from scene to scene to scene. And it was, it's really hard, I think, for people to feel now just how different it was at the time. I mean, and everyone was freaked out by it. The studio was freaked out. The network was completely freaked out. Um, but he sent me the script. I was uh, I was not available at that. I mean, he sent it because, you know, if this goes maybe on down the road. Um, while he was shooting it, I was actually down in the Florida Keys producing another pilot. Um, and I, I know you're aware that one of the nurses is named Lydia. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she was initially Lydia Woodward. And, oh. <laughs> you know, I was on the set of this other show I was doing down in the Keys and I got this, you know, PA came to me and said, you know, John Wells called, wants you to call him as soon as possible. So, you know, I go back up to like mile marker 45 or something in the Keys where our production office is. And because this is obviously, you know, before cell phones. And he was just calling to see if he could use my name. And I said, well, yeah, sure, fine. But um, anyway, so I mean, I stayed in touch with him. The, the pilot that I was producing didn't go, um, which was, of course, kind of sad, but really, really good for me. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I had read the ER script 
And then John sent me um, a copy of the pilot. And I looked at it and I went, oh, wow. You know, oh, I see. I get what you're talking about now. But, um, you know, it's a good thing that raw material came into his hands and not mine. Because if it had been mine, it probably would have never happened. <laughs> Um, so, you know, when the show got picked up in whatever that was, May of 94, I think, mm -hmm. um, I came on board. Nice. Um, well, your first episode as a writer was the third episode of the series, Going Home, which yeah. guest starred Rosemary Clooney, one yeah. of our personal favorites for the early seasons. Um, <laughs> do you have any personal memories of writing that first episode and having it like end up being such a memorable one? I mean, I, I don't really, I mean, Rosemary was fantastic and I can't, you know, I wish I could tell you, you know, 26 or seven years later, exactly how that all originated. Um, I mean, we did have, you know, obviously we had this idea, you know, because we were all so new and, and we knew George and knew that, you know, she was George's aunt. So we just said, well, George, call her, <laughs> you know, and um, he said, Fabulous, I will. And, you know, she was completely game and completely lovely. And, um, you know, it really kicked things off. I mean, early on, those early episodes of a, at least a broadcast series um, are really, really angst filled. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone, everyone is panicking. I mean, actually, usually the writers and producers of the show are not the panicky ones. The network and the studio are panicking. And panic maybe isn't the right word, but you know, there's a lot at stake and there's no feedback yet. No one has seen it except them and they don't know. Um, you know, we believed in what we were doing, but you know, even just having a little bit itch like, oh, Rosemary Clooney, well, that's gonna be very promotable and all that. It's not my we, it's not my we did it. But it's how the studio and the network um, interpreted. And I mean, to, to sort of highlight the degree of their nervousness, at that point in the first season, I was the kind of official note person. So I would be the one on the phone with the studio. I mean, it's all very different the way it operates today. But, um, you know, back then there was you know, usually one person on the show who was in charge of talking to the studio person and the network person to get their notes on the scripts. And the pilot had been done and John Wells wrote the first episode and I wrote the second episode. And I remember getting the notes and one of the notes from someone who will remain nameless was, does there have, does there have to be so much medicine? And it was <laughs> sort of like, um, I just kind of took a breath and I said, well, um, yeah. Yeah, they're does. But they really, I mean, that was something they really grappled with. There really had never been a medical show that had just taken place in an emergency room. You had shows that, you know, where people came in through the ER, but then you followed the patient's story up into cardiology or ICU, you know, whatever. Um, so they didn't know what to make of that. And there never been a show that had used this kind of medical terminology right. to the extent that ER did. So. It was, in fairness to them, I will say, it was very uncharted waters. Um, so even if just early on you had a Rosemary Clooney come on and 
you know, the dailies were great and it was very touching and they all kind of went, oh, okay, yeah, I get this, I get this, you know? So that sort of thing kind of helps a lot. Yeah. Uh, is there a certain point like where that like that nervous energy starts to calm down? Like, is it more like once you folks were renewed for second season and beyond that starts to get a little more like, okay, here's our process. We know we're good with it. Stuff like that. Um, you know, not really. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I was there, as you know, I was there in the first six seasons. And then I came back as a consultant in, I think, seasons 11 and 12. But I just sort of count my time there as the first six, really. And it was extremely, it was pretty intense all the way through. Um, you know, at first you're hoping for incredible success. And then you actually spend a lot of time coping with incredible success. Um, I mean, I know it is cliche, but it's actually, I believe, I'm a big believer in cliches because they're true. Um, you know, success is not easy to navigate um, and it does a real head trip on, on everybody, on, on people on either side of the camera. I mean, so, you know, it remained intense. I mean, nothing, nothing was as intense as that first year. The first year was absolutely insane. I think we started with a, seven day shooting schedule, which wasn't nearly enough. And, you know, the scripts were, I don't know, probably like 68 ish pages long, which is fairly long. And we were, we were short every episode. Wow. And I mean, we had almost not quite a permanent second unit going, but we were having to create more scenes in storylines that were already complete, at least we thought they were complete, um, in order just to get the airtime. I mean, it was really, it, it was just very, very intense and nonstop. And, you know, everyone was learning how to do the show and how to shoot the show. Um, the Wonners, which were, you know, famous. You know, if you look at the one, you know, Wonner in the first season compared to season six, I mean, the first season is like in slow motion. I mean, everyone got really, really good yeah. at it, which meant that it all just zipped along that much faster and you needed to write six or seven more pages of the script. <laughs> um, so it was, it was almost like, you know, you know, when you're, when you're exercising and you get really good at something and then your trainer makes you, you know, adds another five pounds and suddenly it's hard again. I mean, it just was like, it's not fair at some level. It just doesn't feel fair. Yeah. Um, obviously the success of the show was extraordinary from the get-go and then just build I don't really know when we peaked in the first season sometime but um, you know no one could quite figure it out and it, it was it, it's just it's just not something that you experience very often in in this business so and you know success buys you a lot um, we eventually got, we got our eighth day of shooting. I mean, you know, it's sort of like in success, you have a lot more power and a lot more leverage. Um, and you don't get notes like, does there have to be so much medicine? <laughs> they, they trust that the audience will go along with it at that point. Like, okay, this isn't a huge like turnoff for everybody. Yeah. Um, clearly, I, I, clearly the audience was going along. 
Yeah, we've been astounded going back and revisiting, you know, 27 years back and still how much it holds up and how unique it is even, like, after it's influenced so many other medical dramas. It still stands mm-hmm. so strong on its own. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I mean, you, you'll, you, you'll be the judge of that, not me. So. <laughs> is there, what, I mean, since you were talking about how, like, um, you were short on almost every episode, was there a particular reason? I've always kind of wondered this. Was there a particular reason why the first season was so much longer than all the rest of them? That there was a twenty-five episode order instead of a twenty-two episode? Um, yeah, we were we were we kind of joked about we're being punished for our success. <laughs> um, you know, we did we had the normal twenty-two mm-hmm. order, which is what the and I remember late, late, late in the year, John Wells walked over to my office. He said, "Lid, I need to talk to you." And I said, "Okay." They called me, they want us to do two more. Well, I mean, this is like telling, you know, pallbearers to put another hundred pounds in the (laughs) casket. We were, I mean, we were in the casket. We were exhausted. Every, Mm -hmm. everyone, I mean, the cast, the crew, the staff, everyone was just really exhausted from that year. And, but, you know, it was, doing very well and when it does very well um you know the network wanted to capitalize that and wanted a couple of more just a couple of more original episodes in the first season and you know john and i were kind of laughing because we'd done china beach where you know every year it was a struggle to get oh maybe they'll give us 18 mm. you know maybe we'll do 70 so and as I mentioned, the show that I had done, that John did, where you were canceled after two episodes, it's so unusual that they actually want you to do right. more. Well, obviously, we said yes, of course, we would do right. more. Um, and, uh, and you know, luckily, that's when, because uh, I wrote um, episode 23 that Quentin Tarantino directed. Right. And, I mean, there couldn't have been a better time for Quentin to come on board, because everyone is just dragging and he completely energized first of all he was the easiest uh, director possibly i've ever worked with in my life he oh really i mean didn't have a single note not a note didn't change a word didn't even ask to change anything hmm. um just he took the script and and went with it and you know he just obviously he's Gwen tarantino and yeah has an incredible energy and he does have his own style and the episode looks different from the other episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember Michael Crichton saying that it was the worst directed episode <laughs> yet of ER. Um, Michael, bless his heart, was not, was not happy with the Quentin experience. It, it definitely stands out stylistically yeah, in that first season it, for sure. It does, but you know, you're not going to have Quentin Tarantino come, right? you know, um, but it, it was so, for however much Michael didn't like it, it was well worth it for the kind of end of your energy that Quentin could bring, but really no, you know, no one else, really good directors, it would have been hard because he was fresh off Pulp Fiction. So there was a lot of, you know, blah, 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 yeah. you know. <laughs> So when you're writing an episode, were there any signature elements that would identify your writing? So like, is there something that we can point to as we're covering an episode that would say, hey, this is a Lydia Woodward episode? You know, I don't think so. I mean, other people might say, but I don't. There's nothing I could say. 
I mean, I, I will say odds are that if there's a dog in the episode. <laughs> I had a lot. Fair. I did a lot of dogs over the years, and I was <laughs> I was a big dog person. I had dogs myself then, and uh, as a matter of fact, when I was leaving the show after six years, they all joked that finally they were going to do the dog lab story um, because I wouldn't be around to prevent it. <laughs> They, they obviously didn't, but no, I mean, I, I, I do remember our, our DP or Richard Thorpe telling me that he kind of dreaded when my scripts were going to come out, <laughs> be published because, because I always, for some reason, I wasn't conscious of this. He said, I always had more scenes than anybody, than any other script. Hmm. And of course, that's what makes shooting right. hard. Um, right. I don't think he's right. I mean, I, I just don't believe that. But um, I think I just labeled them better than other people. <laughs> uh, made it seem like there were more scenes. But I wasn't, I, I wasn't aware of that in the writing. It's just the way I wrote. So, But other than that, I don't think there's, um, you know, I mean, I think we certainly tried with ER and one of the, I think one of the most rewarding things and fun things about writing ER is that you could go from, you know, the tragic to the comic in a beat so that tonally the show could be anything at any given moment. And that was really a lot of fun. And that's also another thing that's kind of hard to find in a, in writing a show. There aren't many shows that will allow that to happen. Um, and, you know, you could do that at ER. So, like I say, you could have the dog, and then you could have a very, you know, sad, tragic, real story happening in the next room. Was that was that something that was kind of always planned to be part of the equation from the beginning, at least, you know, once you came on board? Or did that kind of come organically from, like, for example, when we talked to Noah Wiley recently, we talked about how he kind of had that knack for physical comedy stuff. And then that started to kind of organically get written into the writing of the shows. Was that something that was always planned or did it just kind of get born out of that? Well, I think it's a little of, a, a little of both. I mean, you know, it really, you know, the, the template was really set in the pilot. Um, and as I'm sure, you know, the, the pilot was really written as a film in the mid 1970s, um, yeah. 20 years before it was ended up. And it was, it was Wells who turned it, John Wells, who turned it into a series. Um, and so, you know, it was established. I mean, in the pilot, there's really, really serious, you know, kind of heartbreaking stuff. And there's also really, you know, stupid, silly stuff. Um, so, you know, that was the format. That was what, you know, was the thing that the show was going to be. I think that, um, you know, one thing the show was very intent on, and again, I think this was, this was sort of a John Wells um, notion, is that we were going to burn through a lot of story. I mean, we were just going to go hell's a fire, you know, you know, out of the gate and just put a ton of story in every episode. And if you've ever been to an ER, <laughs> um, not necessarily as a patient, but as an observer, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and so in a way that that sense of it was, was kind of realistic. You know, at any given moment in an emergency room, there's just a ton of good stuff, bad stuff, funny stuff, whatever. So, you know, we just kind of took it from there. 
And then, of course, yes, Noah is right. The minute we saw how adept he was at physical comedy, we were never going to let him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, some of our favorite moments. And he was, he, yeah, and I mean, you know, he was incredibly game for it and not just good at it, but, you know, he was up for it. So, yeah. So uh, I know kind of as each season would get laid out, you know, at the beginning, you all would lay out kind of broad story arcs and what was going to be happening for each given character in each given episode or at least where they needed to end up. Um, How early would that process typically start and how would you decide where a given character story arc was going to go? You know, they were very, they were sort of broad strokes for certain characters, maybe. Um, and I mean, you know, if you go later into the series, at some point it's decided that Dr. Green's going to die. You know, so you, you back up from that point. Um, but, you know, that was much, I mean, I don't remember when, uh, when Green died, but, um, you know, in one of the later seasons, um, you know, in the very first season, we mapped out kind of in broad strokes, sort of the, about the first eight episodes. We would initially start the year um, in very early June. The writers, we would all meet for at least a solid week or so, just, you know, nine to five, kind of. And as the year got going, I mean, that was broken up more because there was producing to do and all that and post-production and everything. But initially, we were just concentrating in the writing and the kind of the blocking out of arcs. And as I say, that first season, we did about... We did about the first eight episodes and then we got into them and we realized, oh my God, we've already done this. Or we, this is moving too slow. I mean, this is like, you know, and you had to kind of rearrange everything because everything was moving so much faster than we sort of anticipated when we were just trying to block it out. And so the following seasons after that, um, we didn't. I mean, we, you know, we went at like kind of about four episode chunks at a time. Obviously, there were certain things like if you if you had a notion that uh, Benton and Corday were going to get together or, you know, something like that, then, you know, you kind of can put little pieces into, you know, OK, this is going to need to happen here. This is going to need to happen there. Um, but it didn't really get much more sophisticated than that, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah, so we we talked about how much fun it was to write for Noah once you guys realized that he was a slapstick genius. Um, Did you have a favorite character to write for yourself? I I didn't have, no, I wouldn't say that I had a favorite character to write. I mean, Noah, of course, because he could just do anything, um, was great. Sherry, um, who played Lewis, um, Sherry Springfield, there was something about Sherry's voice that you could just hear in your head. So I almost felt when I was writing the Lewis character, it's almost like I wasn't really creating it. It's more like I was just transcribing it. You know, I could just hear her in my head. Um, But I mean, they were all great to write for. And, you know, they were a really wonderful um, ensemble. And they just played off each other very well. So there were opportunities to just do really wonderful things with, I would say with each of the characters. So, you know, I can't really say I had a favorite. Yeah. You, you actually wrote one of my favorite Susan episodes, the one where um, I, the title is escaping me right now, but it's the one where she, uh, little Susie has been taken by 
Chloe and has moved away and and she's going to therapy yeah. for trying to kind of cope with that and it was it, it's right. it's I think it's kind of it, almost uh, especially with the original cast they're they're each member of them kind of eventually got a signature episode like where if you wanted to say like this is the green episode it's probably love slaver lost if for for doug yes. it would probably be hell and high water everybody got their signature episode and susan i think yeah. that for me is kind of her signature episode of like if you want to show somebody what this character is all about that's a perfect example of it yeah and i mean that was a fun one to write because it was a little bit of a departure you know because she's in this like weird weird therapist office I and mean, of course you never see the therapist and you know we wrote it and I, I, I if I'm correct I think Tony Edwards directed that episode and, yeah that um, sounds right which was really which was really helpful I mean you know because he embraced doing it you know kind of a, a slightly different episode um and you know I would say it more or less worked mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. you know it's not I'm not sure I would choose that again, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no qualms from the fans here. Okay. Um, but for your time, for part of your time on the show, you worked as a showrunner. Yeah. How does your perspective change when you're responsible for leading the entire creative direction of the show? Well, you know, you, you know, when you become a producer, and then you, when you eventually move to show running, it's just. It's just an increasing embrace of adulthood. (laughs) You know, you can't be the petulant child in the room and you can't be like, no, I want to do it this way. So, you know, and you have a lot of, um, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm not saying that one in general, I'm just saying me, um, this this is how I needed to approach it. You have a lot of people to, um, to account for. So you have things maybe that writers want to do, but you know what that's going to take in terms of production. So it's like, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily going to be able to do that, but we could do this. Um, so it, it is really just stepping up. It's just stepping up and being responsible to a lot of different people at the same time. And, you know, you, you have a responsibility to the studio and to the network. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are your partners and they're paying for it. And, you know, they're giving you a fairly enormous amount of money every week and saying, spend it well. And so, you know, you try and take that seriously, but you also have to push. I mean, you do have to push to do things. Um, So I think it's just, um, I don't think that creatively it's really all that different. Um, It's just that you're dealing with a lot. You have a lot more balls in the air. So you wrote one of the show's first bottle episodes in season three's The Long Way Around. Did you enjoy the challenge of writing an episode that not only takes place outside of the ER, but also takes place almost entirely in one room? I think enjoy would be the word I would choose. <laughs> um, I feel I ultimately embraced it. but um, And I just, have to, I, I just have to switch your nomenclature just a little bit here, because uh, The Long Way Around is not a, is not a bottle show. It is... In fact, the absolute antithesis of a bottle okay. show. Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. You know, bottle show. Bottle shows. I, I think. I think you guys have seen. I don't remember the title of it, but you know, or everyone. I've heard you guys call it. And we called it. You know, the Breakfast Club yes. episode. Yep. Yep. And yeah. That was a bottle show. I mean, you're on at one set, and you have just really your cast members. 
Um, bottle shows are done expressly to save money, period. And the, the idea is that instead of shooting in eight days, maybe you can shoot in six days. That's an enormous savings. And you do not have any guest cast. Mm. Um, so, in fact, the long way around is the absolute antithesis of... Yeah. You're, you're right. I guess yeah. I'm thinking about it. And I just wanted to, you know, no, I'm not, I, I don't mean to correct you. Just Oh, you know. no. We we live to be corrected, please. Like this is this is great. I mean, I'm I would say it's more of a departure episode. Okay, I would call it. But and you know, oddly, that came about because we ran up for some reason in that part of that season. I don't remember what specific the specific cause was. We ran into an air date problem. Hmm. We realized the network was doing something futzing with the schedule in some way we hadn't started late or anything like that but um where we realized you know what we're gonna have to shoot two episodes simultaneously in order to make our air dates and so that's insane no to pressure think about yeah but yeah. also we only had one stage right i mean yeah you know, we had stage 11 where the main ER set was. And then we had another stage where you could kind of build some swing sets. And, you know, at that point, it was still fairly early in the series. I mean, we had like one OR, you know. Right. So mm -hmm. we didn't really have the capability of shooting two episodes at the same time, not to mention a crew and all that. So that's when we made the decision to do this um, episode. And we shot the whole thing in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we were there for about six weeks between early sideways, between, you know, pre-production and uh, we built that convenience store that was not existing. Wow. Um, that was an empty storefront that we leased and completely built hmm. a set within that, you know, within that location. Um, so, in fact, it was a very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, I mean, creatively, it was challenging. Um, you know, my mindset was so used to writing the show as it was, which you jump from story to story, story and character. And I kind of went, oh my God, well, what is this? And plus I'm in one room. Um, Carol Flint, who was on the show for many years and is also a very, very close friend of mine and someone you should talk to at some point. You know, she, uh, Carol is a playwright and, you know, she kind of sort of tried to calm me down by saying, oh, you know, you've always, you've already solved or have solved the first problem in playwriting of how do you keep everybody on stage right. at the same mm. time? And I went, oh, okay. Oh, so okay. that's okay. Okay. I get it now. So, um, you know, the first act of that show is very easy because Hathaway goes to the convenience door and the bad guys come in and shoot it up and then bam, you're out. And then it was sort of like, okay, what would you like to have happen next? I don't know. Um, but, you know, little by little, it kind of came out. And, you know, obviously, when Ewan McGregor, I mean, he called us up, or his agents, I guess, called us up and said he wanted to do the show. And it, the timing was such, it was like, wow, okay, this is perfect. Um, so that helped a lot. You know, that, that helped a lot. Boy, do we have a script for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it really was, you know, it really was just serendipity that mm -hmm. all that kind of came together because it really was, 
it really was kind of a nightmare scenario that we had to oh, yeah. shoot two episodes at the same time to make our air. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And then in the end, it all worked out, you know, quite nicely. So um, it was fun. I mean, it was fun. It was a very different experience. And like I say, we were in Chicago for a long time. And, um, you know, we had a few scenes back at the ER, you know, at the end of the show. But um, otherwise, it was all Chicago. Yeah, that, I guess that was that was kind of the first of the like out of the ER kind of episode that became sort of a... Mm-hmm. Um, not a trope, but like a, a, a style of episode, um, going forward. And it's, it's a perfect test case for how it can work, you know, and how you can have an episode that doesn't have to take place within the ER and can still be really memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another one of our favorite episodes that you uh, wrote here, I think I'm seeing a pattern developing. Uh, (laughs) you also wrote the season five premiere day for night, uh, where Kelly Martin debuts Mm -hmm. as medical student, Lucy Knight. And of course the the episode is unique in that it takes place kind of almost entirely from her point of view and in some ways feel free to correct us on this but in some ways feels like a soft reboot for the show was the plan to shift the show's dynamic from kind of noah wiley's character as the audience surrogate more to lucy fulfilling that role while carter starts to grow into the roles that george clooney had recently vacated and anthony edwards eventually would um no not at all um (laughs) in a word uh (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, when Kelly was going to join the show, you know, by that point, we had, uh, you know, we'd introduced, I mean, Alex Kingston had come aboard and um, Laura Innes had come aboard. um, Maria Bello had come aboard. So we had done a number of main character introductions. So I think the truth is we were just looking for a different way to do it. Um, It was absolutely not intended as any kind of reboot or you know we're trying to shift to this character thing now or um so no it was just it it was just intended like you know how haven't we done this before how haven't we done it before of of introducing a new character but no i mean kelly's you know kelly's role was just to come in and fit into the ensemble like everybody else it wasn't really um it was the right time in terms of uh, Carter, right. Carter's character, you know, because now he had someone he could shit on, basically. Um, <laughs> which he does a lot. And, you know, which he does a lot. And that is sort of what her purpose was. Um, right. So, but it wasn't really any more complicated than Fair that, enough. you know. Um, you just, you know, you kind of start running out of ideas. Oh, how do we bring this one in? How do we bring that one in? And, um make it just a little bit different. Well, for, for what it's worth, I think we, we talked about it a lot at the time. For what it's worth, I think it's the best new character introduction that the show mm-hmm. ever did. Like, that, never more do you get the ability to care about a character so much at the end of an episode that you just met at the beginning of that same episode. Yes, yes. And that was, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad it worked. You know, I mean, yeah, it was very different that way. I mean, it was basically like doing a pilot mm-hmm. with Lucy, starring Lucy. Yeah. Um, which wasn't really, it wasn't completely the intention, but, um, you know, it did get her kickstarted. So several times over the first several seasons, uh, storylines had to be changed or abandoned midstream for various reasons. Things like Carol's flirtation with becoming a doctor, the Peter Benton-Elizabeth Corday pairing, and Kelly Barton's somewhat abrupt exit from the show. Mm How much of a challenge is it when outside factors necessitate a change to a storyline that has already been planned out? Well, you know, I don't know how many outside, I mean, 
you know, yes, they happen. I mean, but I think that, you know, improvisation is almost the art of, <laughs> of everything. So, you know, when the situation on the ground changes, you know, you have to change. I mean, you know, we had to kind of change a lot of what our initial thinking was when Sherry decided to leave right. the show. And all of a sudden, you know, a big part of that season, I'm trying to remember what it was, I think it was yeah. three, um, kind of becomes about, oh, okay, well, what are we building this story? Um, you know, with Kelly leaving, I mean, you know, she was kind of ready to do some other things and stuff. And so we kind of tried to figure out, well, how can we make one her departure significant? And so not just significant for her, but then significant for the people who remain behind, mm -hmm. um, which I think ended up working pretty well. And also, mm -hmm. and then served the purpose of launching a, basically a new storyline for Carter um, as he goes through all of his dealings with, you know, post-surgery and, you know, drug use and all that sort of thing. So, you know, when things like that sort of crop up, you just sort of try and figure out, you know, how can you twist it and, and find some advantage in it. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, Sherry leaving in three. How, like, I know she, she leaves for good, you know, kind of the first third or so of that season. How much advance notice did you all get of that of like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'd like to leave uh, versus like, how, how much of that had to be written like kind of on the fly? I, I honestly can't specifically remember, but my my sense is we had we had fair notice on that. Uh, you know, Sherry didn't spring it on it. She'd been kind of thinking about it, and and so we were sort of aware that that she was thinking about leaving, and um, and then she made it. She made a decision early enough that we had we had I think plenty of time to to cope yeah. with that, to deal with that, and to try and you know again to use it. Um, to, you know, build something up with green mm -hmm. and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So moving forward, this is moving into when you were uh, a consulting producer uh, and still writing a few episodes here and there. Um, you wrote a later season episode, Ruby Redux, uh, that featured the return of Red Buttons as guest star uh, in his final on-screen yes. role. Um, where did... Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> where yeah. where did the idea come from to bring a character back from so long ago and, you know, trusting that the audience would remember him enough for it to have the impact you were looking for? Well, I think we completely trusted the audience. You know, the the audience had been extremely loyal. Um and was you know, I don't know if that was it had to have been either season 11 or 12. But, you know, enough people were still around who would remember that. And, you know, then the goal you know, the goal is to sort of try and make that storyline as moving as possible, even for people who might not have seen the original episodes. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, I have absolutely no idea, you know, who said, oh, let's bring red buttons back. Um, I, I, you know, I, it seems clear we were looking for something for Carter mm -hmm. um, at that moment. I can't remember what else Carter was doing um, in that period, but um and, you know, Red Buttons had been great. I mean, he'd just been hysterical to work yeah. with. And, you know, we spent a lot of time with him in Chicago because he'd had Chicago scenes in the early, um, uh, in the earlier seasons. And, you know, I mean, God, I can remember sitting around at the Ritz-Carlton at night drinking bourbon with Red Buttons and just be telling <laughs> these story after story after story of, you know, 1940s Hollywood, 1950s Hollywood. And, 
uh, you know, he was, a, he was a lot of fun. So it's like, sure, let's get red buttons yeah. back. Wow. That, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, I think we've really enjoyed about the show going forward. And as we've gone through episode by episode is how much it's clear that you trusted the audience with a lot of things like, you know, bringing characters back from, you know, long since forgotten or bringing up plot threads that haven't been talked about in a you know, season and a half or whatever. There was always that trust between the show and the audience to always pick up the thread and run with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, look, obviously we had a, a, a very lovely relationship with the audience for many, many years. And I think the feeling also was, as I said, you know, with, like with the red buttons thing, there will be people watching me who didn't see the earlier episodes, but hopefully they'll enjoy the story anyway. And if they don't, there's enough else happening in the episode that they'll like something else. So again, it, you know, it's the advantage of doing a show like ER that has multiple stories mm -hmm. per episode. You know, it's like, if you don't like it, wait a few minutes and there'll be something else. Um, so at least that's what we told sure. ourselves. <laughs> that's how we, that's how we reassured ourselves. Right, right. ourselves that we weren't well, actually sure. That, that seems to stick true to our experiences when we have episodes we don't quite that don't quite land for us. There's usually still at least three or four things in each episode that we can say, well, this was pretty neat or this moved this forward. So. Yeah. Well, and they, they definitely don't all land. I mean, you know, I think that's another thing when you do broadcast television, you're doing 22 episodes um, a year is, you know, you never want to stop trying. You never want to like right. do anything other than your best. Mm -hmm. But there is something about you have to recognize they aren't all going to be home runs. Right. And well, yeah. so you just kind of, you know, try and make as many of them as good as you can. Yeah, with with over 300 episodes, I think you guys had a pretty good batting average. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is there a storyline or episode from your time on this show that you're most proud of? No, I don't think so. You know, um, I tell you what's interesting, when I knew that I was going to be talking to you, I went and looked, I mean, it's not a show I watch very much <laughs> now. So I went and looked back at some of the episodes in those first seasons. You know, what was really amazing to me is how many episodes we did about AIDS. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, like AIDS, which you know, you don't hear much or see much about AIDS, which is which is good now. But it was a reminder of what a huge force that was in culturally and in in the lot in life in that era. Um, and that still in the 90s. I mean, it was a very, very big, tragic thing happening. And I was kind of I mean, I just didn't really have any sense of like how much we had done mm -hmm. with that. Um, and I was glad about that. You know, I was, you know, that that was kind of rewarding that, oh, yeah, we really just kind of took that on and didn't just do it in one episode, kept trying to address it in different ways. And obviously with Jane Belay's character. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that's one that, I, you know, that I feel good about in terms of kind of an ongoing subject matter that was addressed early on. We weren't trying to be, you know, the social or moral conscience at all of the nation. But this was something that was really happening in our society at the time. And so go for it. 
And one of the things about Jeannie's storyline that we always, we've definitely appreciated as we've gone along, we're actually getting ready to wrap up her main storyline here in a couple episodes. But um, one of the things that we've appreciated about it as we've been watching is how um, they didn't, or you all didn't present her situation as a death sentence, you know, that her life was going to go on and that she was, she was going to deal with other things that didn't involve her HIV status. And it was, you know, I think, we've said it a couple of times that like, we feel like a lesser show would have at some point pulled the trigger on the, you know, Oh, she now has AIDS and is going to die just as a, a way to, you know, pop a rating or to just make, make it a bit exciting for one more yeah. week, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we absolutely did not want, I mean, we wanted it to be a story of survival mm-hmm. and, and living and, you know, ultimately to have some degree of hope to it. Um, you know, given a pretty rotten situation, that there is some hope. Um, so we, we definitely did that. You know, also, you, you know, when you're in the ER, you have just so many opportunities to kill people. Um, so, I mean, Sometimes by their request. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you, you know, if you want to kill anybody or get rid of anybody, I mean, it's really easy to do. <laughs> right. Um, and, we, you know, our doctors are, are, you know, tech people and the, the docs who, um, were writers and working in the room, they should say, up oh, through a clot, you know, gone. Yeah. So, um, hmm. it's easy to do. So speaking of killing <laughs> characters, one of the great things about the show was its ability to withstand multiple cast changes from a creative standpoint. How did you approach cast changes to ensure that the show would stay fresh? You know, I don't think, I mean, I think that I mean, it's just kind of an understood thing when you're doing episodic television that you're going to need new energy. Um, now we had an enormous energy from all the guest cast that we had. And, you know, particularly like a, the recurring characters. I mean, Kathleen Wilhoyd played, um, you know, Lewis's sister and CCH Pounder and Amy Aquino and, you know, Kirsten Dunn, I mean, all these, you know, incredible actors who, who spent time with us and, but, you know, at some point you just need to mix it up. So it's not really like, oh my God, now or whatever you kind of expect. I mean, every show I've ever worked on that's lasted more than a season um, ends up doing that. You know, you need somebody coming in to kind of juice things up and provide a little bit different um, sense of conflict and stuff. So, you know, it was never a um, it was never a planned thing like, oh, okay, by season five we need to do this, by season six it wasn't like that. It was more just a shooting from the hip, like you know, what would be really great now would be or what we feel like we don't quite have. You know, it was more of that sort of uh, a feeling or how it happened. Was there any ever any specific like we need to introduce three new characters in season six? We need to introduce two new characters in season five. Was there any? Was that just sort of from your folks' perspective, from the writing perspective, like, oh, we want to do this? Or was that something more like from like the network saying like, oh no, we need so many new characters or something like that? No, it was never from the network or the studio. It was always from internally, from our, our group, from the writer group. Um, you just kind of sense that, you know, I, you know, sometimes you would come up with sort of story ideas or, or arcs or whatever. And, you know, they kind of necessitate it. Like, oh, you know what? We actually need sort of someone else to help facilitate this arc. Um, you know, all, all the people who came in 
really came in to kind of service the people who were already there. So it's just sort of on, it's sort of this rotation that kind of keeps going. And then the new ones kind of become the old guard. Mm -hmm. Then you need people to come in and sort of service those characters. Um, so yeah, I mean, we would start the season or we, you know, we were thinking about at the end of a season, we'd kind of think, well, what do we need next year? What's So it wasn't just like completely hit or miss. I mean, it was planned. Sure. But it was not planned in any kind of organized way. <laughs> it wasn't like, okay, every year we're going to introduce one or two or, you know, it was more just kind of like someone would sort of bring it up and we'd sense a need or an interest. Um, so yeah. that's how it would come about. It's, it definitely sort of we're experiencing now as we're, we're currently recording like early season six stuff. And we've, of course, introduced Goran Vishnik and Michael Michelle and yeah. um, Eric Palladino. It does sort of feel like, and this I'm sure was not this the specific intention uh, on the creative team's part, but like it does sort of feel like if you're trying to replace a George Clooney, particularly a 1999 George Clooney, who's at like the peak of his you know stardom, he's on the rise. Um, it almost makes sense to try to like make him up in the aggregate. You're not going to find another George Clooney, one single person to replace a, a guy like that. So you might as well just take elements of his personality and elements of his character and kind of sprinkle them across three new ones and hope some magic happens. Yes. I mean, I think you're giving us a lot more <laughs> for, thinking this, for thinking this through. And, you know, I mean, I, I, we, you know, we knew that we obviously, you know, we needed kind of another hunky guy. I mean, just say it for what it was. And, you know, Goran was it. Right. I mean, and, and also Goran is just a spectacular actor. So, um, you know, that was an incredibly great addition to the show after George had left. Um, and then I think, you know, Eric and even with McNaught and stuff, I mean, you know, you just needed some comic relief and, um, in other words, I think you're thinking about it a little more <laughs> deliberately than we did. Uh, <laughs> I, I will, I will say this. We are learning through every single interview that we do that anything um, us insane fans have put so much thought into as a community, y'all are just like, it was another Thursday at work. Don't overthink Guys, it. Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> calm down. It, it pretty much was. I mean, it, yeah. you, you know, look, it was, it was a very, very well-run show. Um, mm -hmm. and even its chaos was well-run chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not that it was just, you know, oh, just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what works. And, um, it, it wasn't that at all, but it's, it's just, you know, it isn't like making widgets. You can't just like fit it all together at a certain time period. And, um, you know, there is just a lot of serendipity and, um, but, but in a designed kind of way, in a controlled kind of way. And now we often let, well, we always let our listeners submit a few questions just because, you know, we get a chance that they often don't get to do. So one of their, um, one of their, well, their first question is, what character's departure was the most difficult to work through creatively? You know, I don't, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I don't know that anyone was more difficult you know, we knew that the George, that, that Ross leaving had to be sort of complicated and was going to take a lot of kind of a, a fair amount of buildup to get to, to make it sort of make sense and not have him just leave and, you know, have it done for the right reasons. So I think that right. 
you know, I think creatively that might have been the most complicated. I mean, it didn't seem all that difficult in the end, you know, when you put it together. Mm -hmm. But it just, you know, there were steps that had to, a lot of steps that had to be laid. You know, I mean, Sherry leaving, Lewis, the Lewis character leaving, you know, she was the first one to go. Um, and it was only in season three. And, you know, everyone loves Sherry. I mean, Sherry's great. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was really sad. It was just sad that, you know, Sherry was going to leave. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that it was creatively, you know, I mean, she left. Yeah. Um, you know, right. she got on a train and left. So, um, <laughs> but um, but it certainly was emotional. It was very emotional yeah. for for all of us as writers, it was emotional for the cast. Because, um, you know, she was the first one out the door. Right. So, mm -hmm. And then the other question we have from our listeners is, how did you decide what the balance of dark light or comedy and tragedy would be in a given episode you were writing? You know, there was no formula for that at all. Um, you know, the way it would work when we were kind of figuring out what episodes were going to be, you know, you sort of had, you had the continue, the, the beats of the continuing storylines. So, you know, you had to carry the water for that, um, for that story. And then it was a free for all, especially, you know, the first year, it's like, you know, we'd write down the board, uh, we write down the word, you know, on the board, appendectomy. Mm -hmm. Well, like, what does that mean? You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, and, and we were doing a ton of research um, we had a full-time research person, but we were also doing a lot of research. You know, we were going to the ERs here, to the UCLA Harbor ER, to County, LA County SC, and spending time there, you know, watching. And it did not take long to realize, oh, you can do anything. <laughs> I mean, you can really do anything. I mean, the stuff that I saw at SC in just a few visits, at, at, at LA County was just like, oh my God. Um, yeah. And so in a way it just sort of opened the door to you could do anything. I mean, we did try and have the episodes be balanced, but it was never, there was no formula for it. There was no percentages or anything like that. And there wasn't really any, I mean, all the writers, everybody was on the same page. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, a showrunner or, or anybody else would have to say, oh, no, you better put more of this in that episode. It, it wasn't, it was all kind of just organic to the show. Sure. Right. So one final question that we ask uh, everybody that we talk to from the show, what do you think it is important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching? You know, I have absolutely no answer to that question. I mean, I don't, I guess my answer is that I don't think there is anything from, I mean, whatever the fans, I mean, whatever the fans of the show are taking from the show is like, we're really grateful. We were really grateful they were taking anything from the show. Whatever they're seeing is the point of the show. Um, so I just don't think there's anything else behind the scenes or that's important. What's important is what got on the screen and that it worked. Um, and that's really all that matters. That's really all that matters, that people were happy watching it. 
And so that made us happy and obviously made the studio and the network very happy. Um, you know, it all came together. And, and in the end, that's really all that, all that mattered.